The Prima Deer, session number 349. Hello, and welcome to The Prima Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name, as I mentioned earlier, is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited for you to be here today. If this is your first time joining me, welcome, and thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode today. I know it will be very helpful for you as you are preparing your applications, writing your secondary essays, and ultimately getting a better understanding of how you as an applicant is looked at by medical schools. Now, I'm only talking to one medical school today, Carl Illinois College of Medicine, but hopefully this will give you a behind-the-scenes look at how a school may review your application. Now, I'm talking to Heather Wright, who is the Director of Recruitment at Carl Illinois College of Medicine and someone who is intimately familiar with the application process there because she helped develop it. And we're going to talk all about their secondary essay, why it is unique, why they don't have an interview at Carl Illinois College of Medicine, and so much more. If you want more information about Carl Illinois College of Medicine, go back and listen to my interview with their dean, Dr. King Lee, in episode 256 of The Pre-Med Years. You can find that at medicalschoolhq.net slash 256. You can obviously Google them, find their school, and check out more about their unique curriculum and obviously their unique secondary essay as well. You can find their secondary essay at secondaryapps.com. Let's go ahead and jump in, say hello to Heather, and hear what makes Carl, Illinois pretty amazing. Heather, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk to you today about secondary essays, something that students fear, uh, not maybe necessarily for what to write about, although they do fear that, but also the just sheer amount of secondary essays that come their way. So hopefully we can ease some fears and help guide students as maybe they're picking schools to to maybe not have to do so many secondaries. So are you up to that challenge today? Absolutely. So let's start with who you are and what your role is at Carl Illinois College of Medicine. Sure. So I'm our director of recruitment and student success. So I work on helping us identify ideal students for our school. Um, And then once we matriculate those students, making sure that they're happy and healthy and graduate to be really productive, uh, incredible physician innovators. So um, within admissions, I've had the opportunity to really grow our secondary application um, and kind of develop that and and tweak that and um, offer something that really no other medical school is offering, especially the way that we do. So. When I hear that you are growing the secondary application and doing it in a way that no other school is doing it, that just strikes fear in my heart, uh, especially <laughs> knowing knowing what the, the Carl Illinois application, the secondary application looks like. What was your thought process behind going so far away from the norm of why do you want to come to our school and and tell me about diversity that you have and oh explain any bad grades that you may have had what what was the the drive to just be different 
Yeah. Um, well, what we're offering as a medical school is very different, right? We're, we're trying to develop a new type of physician. And so we really wanted to draw parallels to that in our application process, because really a secondary application should be asking an applicant, how are you the best fit for our institution? Now, secondaries have gotten away from that, right? Many of the times they're asking the exact same question in the exact same format. They want you to write an essay on how you manage stress. And I don't care how many ways you cut it. I have a hard time believing that 95% of applicants to medical schools are runners and they run to relieve their stress. But that's what we hear, you know, working in a different medical school prior to Carla, Illinois and reviewing applications. That was one of the questions that we would often ask. And I would get the same answers all the time. Either I love cooking to relieve stress or I love running. <laughs> And while that may be true for some applicants, that's not really telling me how you are an ideal fit for this particular medical school. So if that's what the tool was designed to do to identify a proper fit, then let's start asking better questions. Um, and at the same time, we were uh, very cognizant and, and concerned with equity and access issues um, into medical education. And so we wanted to offer a non-traditional secondary application that would be more supportive of people with different experiences, the non-traditional backgrounds or the individual who had to maybe work while going to school so they didn't have the same research output. How do you show or have the opportunity to show that you are prepared for medical school um, in a way that the school can, can know more about you and, and see how you're going to be a fit? Um, instead of answering the same kind of canned essay questions. So that was our, our charge and our vision. And, and I'm really proud of what we've come up with. And some survey results say applicants actually do really like the process too, which is a win-win <laughs> to me. Why does fit matter so much between the student and the school? Because students are thinking, listening to this going, well, I really don't care about the fit. Are they going to accept me? That's all I care about. And yeah. do my stats match? Because that's that's really all the schools care about. That's what students think. Sure. Yeah. And I understand that. I mean, when you're looking at this kind of volume, right, over 50,000 applications for over, you know, under 20,000 or a little over 20,000 spots, I can I can see how stats become the driving force um, as to how you make your decision. But fit absolutely matters. Um, you want to be in an environment in which you can thrive. And, you know, I've worked in some environments sometimes that are um, less than ideal. And in those spaces, there's no way that I could be innovative. There's no way that I could feel comfortable and safe taking risks and trying new things. Um, and then conversely, I've, I've been on the other end where I've been in environments like here at Carl, Illinois, where I have the opportunity to say, I know how they're doing it everywhere else, but I'm ready to try something novel and, and um, unique. And so when you're in that environment and you're allowed to do that, it profoundly changes your experience. And in medical school, that's even more important because we want you to be able to offer outstanding patient care and really leave a profound mark in healthcare. So you have to be in the right environment to do that. So I think every applicant should be critically examining what is the culture at that institution? What are the rates of mistreatment? What are the, the graduation rates? You know, what are the satisfaction rates? Beyond just looking at what is a step one score? What is a step two score? Um, and what's your mean MCAT for admission, right? Like there's so much more to a medical school that you should be looking at beyond just these kind of um, uh, quick quantitative metrics that we often look at. And so a good secondary should help you 
learn more about that institution and and see how you will actually fit at that school. So Carl, Illinois is obviously different and students can look at your secondary and go, okay, I can get a better understanding of what's going on at that school, at your school. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to students and then they try to research schools, the, the typical response is all the mission statements sound generic. The websites are <laughs> terrible. The secondaries are generic. How am I supposed to figure out what these schools want? Yeah. Gosh, that's such a hard question, isn't it? Um, that's the million opinion, dollar question. It, it absolutely is. Because so many schools will also um, withhold some of that information or they cherry pick the information that they yep. feed forward. Um, I think that's why so many programs rely on interviews for you to come and get a, a preview and to, to talk to the current students. Um, so I think that the things that I would look for if I were applying to medical school is like, what is their spirit of transparency? Um, can I look on their website and get a good feel of what are the experiences and opportunities that students can get engaged with? What are their policies as it relates to student persistence? So I like to look at things like um, what is their grading policy? What is their step one, step two policy? Um, you know, what uh, does it take for a student to be recognized in gold humanism? And do they have an active chapter? Um, many of schools have all of these things. And so you're going to see it check the box pretty quickly. Um, but I think if you can establish some standardized criteria across schools, um, and then it makes it a little bit easier to kind of assess that and look at that area. When it comes to actually picking schools that students apply to, it sounds like you're recommending that students look at all the secondary essays before they actually add that school to their primary application. Is that what you're recommending? Yeah, I think that that would be helpful. I think that it's the first uh, piece of communication you're really receiving from an institution that's asking about fit. Um, and if it's a generic secondary, I I think you have to start asking yourself then, what are the elements about this school that I really enjoy? Um, how is this in line with the type of physician that I want to be? Because if you matriculate into a medical school and it's not the right fit, your next four years are going to be miserable. And then you're going to be preparing for a residency for three to seven years that could also be a long haul. So, you know, what is the environment that will set you up best for success? And so if reviewing secondaries to get a feel for that can be one tool, then I would say absolutely do it. I wonder, it would be interesting to see kind of studies on this, but the the rates of burnouts among physicians, how much of that potentially stems back all the way back to medical school choice and mm-hmm. and really finding the right fit for medical school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that being a very interesting study because I think that your mindset very well gets shaped by your cohort of peers um, as you move through your program and then your interactions with faculty. And if if that's a toxic relationship, I worry that you're you're predisposed to, you know, uh, mental health distress as you're in residency. So a lot of students listening to this might think, wow, like if I'm applying to a school, they have a generic application for their secondary generic essay prompts. I, I they must be lazy. I don't want to I don't want to apply to them. 
I, I think a lot of students don't understand just the amount of volume coming in and and the the resources necessary to review all of these applications. So for for the students just really to understand that backend process and and what schools are going through, can you kind of just walk through the process a little bit about what you're doing with all these applications and and reading all these essays and the size of the team that you have doing all of that? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so it will look a little bit different at every medical school and how they structure it will look slightly different, which is kind of the hard piece. Uh, speaking to what we do here. Um, so, and, and let me preface this by saying, I also, I talk, when I talk to applicants, um, they say how frustrating and, and heartbreaking it is to, um, especially for a first time applicant or our um, first gen low income applicants. What I often hear is, I received that secondary application and I had it as this like feeling of hope that mm-hmm. um, this means I'm really advancing in their process. But in the end, I felt like they were just taking my money and they were never really considering me. Yep. And that is, boy, that is such a heartbreaking feeling. And so. But it's the um, truth for a lot of yeah, schools, unfortunately. For a lot of schools, that is how it is managed, right? That um, they establish a minimum uh, cognitive index, which is a combination of your MCAT and your GPA. And it can be a subsection of your MCAT or a subsection of your GPA. But based on that output of this this calculated score, um, they determine if you're eligible for a secondary. And so a lot of times that's computer driven. So it's almost instantaneous that you apply and they kick back a secondary to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, again, for most schools, that will come right back to their admissions office and there'll be a handful. Recently, I was at a meeting um, of medical schools within the state of Illinois and we were talking about our process. And for the most part, it was less than 10 individuals um, that were working with the university or in the medical school will receive that application. They will do a preliminary scoring of that and make a preliminary recommendation. And that recommendation then goes to faculty. But they're working on thousands of applications. Yeah. Um, for Carl, Illinois, ours is structured very differently. So we first do a competency check because, again, we don't want to give folks false hope. So we will look at based on your transcript or other experiences that you've had. So did you do research in a lab? Have you worked full time that had like developed competence in this one particular area? Um, Did you use some free resources like Coursera or any of the other MOOCs um, to develop competence? So we ask students to show us how they've developed competence for our program. Um, There are three core faculty members who evaluate all of that competence. And then if you meet our competency threshold, we then invite you to do the secondary application. Um, After an applicant receives the secondary application, um, for our process, two faculty members review every application. On average, it takes a faculty member over 45 minutes to score a file. And then if there's a point discrepancy between those two reviewers, that would trigger an inter-rater reliability review check. So then a faculty member um, who's more centralized in the process, then we'll do the third review to resolve any point disparity. So we are really getting to know an applicant through their secondary. We're using all of the content in their AMCAS, those 15 memorable experiences. We're using the personal statement. And then for Carl, Illinois, we're using your portfolio that you've uploaded and then your video essay um, to determine then who should be given an offer of admission. Some schools will also use your interview score or your in-state residency as well. So it is a very time-intensive process. Um, 
But what I can say, especially for Carl and I's process, is we really do spend time with every piece of information that you're sharing with, with us um, to help make us, you know, to help us with informed decisions in the admission process. Now, just for Carl, Illinois specifically, I remember when I had uh, Dr. King Lee on the podcast a couple of years ago talking about your first class, there wasn't going to be an interview for that first class. Uh, is there mm-hmm. still no interview at Carl, Illinois? Yeah, still no interview. We're actually very proud of that. Interesting. Um, there was an interesting study a few years ago that came out of, I believe, Texas, where um, the I believe the legislature required that applicants or, or that, that medical schools accept um, more students that next year. And so there were a cohort of students that were admitted that never interviewed. And that study uh, found that there was no discriminatory difference between these two populations, those who are interviewed and those who are not. And when you look at the human resource literature um, and any of the hiring literature, you can see that there is a, a great deal of bias that comes into play yeah. in interviews because it's essentially social replication theory, right? We're, we're just looking to see a continuation of ourselves through the interview uh, from those who are the interviewers. And so it's not a useful tool. We're not getting um, data that is really helping us make a decision. And so until um, you know, we would move to something like maybe an MMI where there's a little more evidence to demonstrate that that is an effective interview tool, mm-hmm. We just don't believe in in adding that into our process. So there's still no interview at Carl and I. For for students entering a field where evidence based medicine is like the the buzzword of the day, why do you think so many schools still use an interview if interviewing is is shown through data to not be useful? Um, well, we've had many uncomfortable conversations with faculty <laughs> who really struggle. Right? They um, they have come through a process and they believed it worked for them. So this idea of changing it, and particularly in medicine, where there really has to be um, this humanistic side, right? I mean, that's why it's also an art of medicine. Um, they struggle with this idea that we will have not met someone face-to-face. Um, but I, I profoundly disagree, and the data backs that up. And so until someone can give us some real hard data that proves that um, this interview would change how we are, are doing the selection process, we just don't believe in following it. You know, if we're just like you're saying, if we're telling our our students they need to practice evidence-based medicine, then we need to follow what the social science evidence is showing us. And it's that interviews are not an effective measure um, or instrument uh, in the decision-making process. Now, a student listening to this may go, that's crazy. Like, I, I'm going to shine on my interview day. I'm so uh, personable. Mm-hmm. And 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 I know plenty of of my fellow classmates who are pre-med. They're going to do terrible on their interview day. And, and I, I can hear that argument as well. But I also know that it's it's easy to fake it for a day. Absolutely. I mean, narcissists and sociopaths are great <laughs> at it. <laughs> and we don't necessarily want them in medicine, right? And yep. So I think we have to really think critically about finding better tools to, to measure this. And so I think that there's some pros, um, some uh, promise in um, the situational judgment test that mm-hmm. uh, the AAMC is trying to develop. Kind of like a Casper lookalike I heard they're trying to yeah. create. Yes. And so, um, except I, I believe the, um, the situational judgment test was to look a little bit more at two pro-social behaviors as opposed mm-hmm. to some negative behaviors, which I think is in Casper. Okay. I know... Schools are are struggling to measure these interpersonal attributes that an applicant has, which is why so many schools have gone to Casper. Um, again, we don't use it because I um, 
I think faculty struggle to understand how to use that Z-score. And um, as an applicant, I don't think that it's fair or just that they don't get to see their own score. Um, And it adds that extra financial burden. But many schools will roll that into that secondary application because, again, they're just trying to learn more to manage the volume of applications. So it can be one more variable that an institution can filter on. Yeah, there's some schools that have gotten rid of all their secondary essay prompts and and it's like, hey, send us some money and take the Casper and send it to us. Yep. So Yeah, and I just think it's that faculty um, struggle with change. Yeah. And so if we're asking them to change too much in the process, um, there's fear. But sometimes in the right environment um, and with faculty who are willing, willing to listen to the data, um, they're, they're open to letting you try novel things. Yeah. Now you mentioned a couple of times scoring of applications, and it's not something I talk a lot about on this podcast about mm-hmm. kind of the secret sauce, but again, every school is different. And, um, and, and what you're talking about, it sounds like you're talking about rubrics and students probably don't know or understand exactly what's going on with with a rubric. Can you explain? I'm assuming that's what you're using. Can you explain what that actually means? Yeah. So it's just um, an effort to um, make this a little less subjective in the scoring process. And so most medical schools have some flavor of a scoring instrument that they're using. Um, the experience attributes and metrics model that the AAMC put out a few years ago um, gives some categories of the holistic review that an applicant um, can, can look to and see these are the areas that a medical school is likely evaluating me on. And so most institutions, like I said, have come up with a scoring instrument um, that aligns with that uh, experience attribute metric model. And um, faculty can go through and then based on the number of publications that you have or volunteer hours that you have, um, it kind of standardizes that scoring so they can look across applicants and get a better feel for um, level of, of preparation. We also see the military utilizing this with like the HPSP students as they apply for a military match. They have rubrics that they use in the scoring process as well. And so there are some parallels there. Yeah. And I've talked about that a bunch when when I talk about my military application or for residency and and not getting enough points to to move on in the the system. It's a certain number of points for your how well you did the first couple of years and a certain number of points for how well you did the second couple of years and your step one score, step two score, et cetera. And you get points for research and points for prior active duty. And 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 that's kind of how medical schools are reviewing the application is, okay, we're going to determine, hey, we're we're on a zero to five scale here. And we're going to look through every part of the application and kind of rank each section. I think when a student hears that, they may feel completely demoralized Mm -hmm. that they're spending all this time writing their essay, pouring their heart out in their personal statements and, mm-hmm. and having all of these experiences boil down to 700 characters. And all you're doing on the back end is, is scoring it, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've been judged and scored their entire life in school. Can, can you hopefully give a little bit of a hope to students to say, this is, this is a good thing for you and not bad? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think that we are also looking for, so some of the factors we're we're scoring um, against are are looking at things like how resilient is this learner? Um, 
how curious have they been through their process? How are they making use of the resources that they do have? Um, and so that's just the, um, the AMCAST is, is a portion of that application. And then that secondary is, is also, um, part of the, the overall admission score. And so when someone has described the adversity that they've come through or their journey to becoming a physician, and it's a really beautiful, um, strong personal statement that contextualizes the entire application. And so it changes the way that we read it. Um, in academic medicine, there recently um, was a, a paper that came out that was called Am I Disadvantaged? And it was how applicants decide when they're using the disadvantaged uh, status indicator. Mm. And what I often see is um, I, I'm, I'll be reading a beautiful and sometimes heartbreaking personal statement. And then that and they're describing true disadvantage, but then they're not using the disadvantaged indicator in their AMCAS. Yeah. So for the listeners, I would encourage them to look into some of the resources AAMC has, look at academic medicine and, and read on what some of the research is telling us on how to best fill out that application. But that's one particular um, article that I would like to point people to, to learn a little bit more um, about using that disadvantaged indicator. Because, you know, me personally, I'm a first-gen low-income um, individual from a rural community that is half native uh, American, half white. And um, so my identity and my lived experience very much shape how I picked a major in undergrad and what opportunities I thought were for me or that weren't for me. And so I think it's important for applicants to know that where we come from, it does shape us. And when we bring that forward in an application, it can offer context to the entire application. Um, and so the the rough GPA that you had that freshman year because you were really homesick. If when that's in context and and, and it's tied to something meaningful and, and maybe even a letter writer can speak to that, it can offer some context that then admissions committees can sometimes do something with. So it's a vulnerable process to apply to medical school because you're putting it all out there on that AMCAS. But that information, especially for a responsible program, they will use that to inform how they're looking at your application. Okay. Do does Carl Illinois and and maybe you can speak if you know other schools that may use without using names, obviously, is there potential opportunity to take that into account with some sort of discretionary points that that may be allowed on an application? Um, yes, there. There's usually consideration for overcoming dis adversity. Yeah. Um, I particularly if it balances something else out, right? Like, um, I've had to care for a parent before who was very, very sick, and it impacted my ability to do as well in school as I wanted to. So, if I were an applicant, I would explain that in my application, um, but also speak to the clinical skills I learned in that time. Um, so I can show that, yeah, I may not have been uh, paid working as a CNA or as a medical scribe, but this experience that I had caring for a parent who had a traumatic brain injury, it revealed so much around the social determinants of health or how to navigate complex healthcare systems. So I think when you can leverage that difficulty or, or not even difficulty, but just the lived experiences that you've had and explain how it's relevant um, and salient to why you want to be a physician, then sometimes you can kind of get this like bank of points that you may not have thought of. 
yeah. right? That that you may have thought, well, I wasn't a medical scribe, so I, this doesn't qualify. All right. Hopefully we're giving some hope to students and not scaring them away. Like, I'm Absolutely. just going to be a number. Um, well, and I think students really um, shouldn't, or applicants should not be afraid of picking up the phone and and, and calling medical schools sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think that there, there are some schools who are not very responsive. Um, but as I talk to my colleagues um, at other institutions, we all have an open heart and a willingness to talk to applicants because we want to see applicants become successful. So use those pre-health advisors. Absolutely talk to the admissions office um, at schools or, or um, you know, offices that are tailored to serving underrepresented students um, can all be excellent resources. And then podcasts like yourself. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's, I, I think a lot of students have this fear, this image in their head that the people on the other ends of these applications are are just laughing in a room going, ha ha ha, we get to say no to all of these people today. And yeah. it's just not the case. Absolutely. And I think it can be really powerful to talk because I talked to some applicants who call and they believe they 100% have to get that special master's program de degree. They've, they've got to go get a $60,000 master's oh, degree no. to get in. And that is one of, I think, the biggest lies we're developing in, in <laughs> medical school admissions. Um, yeah. And and so I think that has to be a careful decision if you're going to do that and what the factors are and what you're trying to overcome in your application. Um, because it's not just GPA and MCAT. Yep. Um, but schools or, or applicants have, have, we're either selling this idea and, and applicants are, are eating it up or, or I'm not sure what the phenomenon is here, but, uh, the special master's program that, that extra $60,000 of debt does not always go very far in the application process. So, you know, call us so we can talk to you about that. Yeah, I literally, I, I'm going to read word for word something that I wrote yesterday, last night, to to a group of uh, other advisors. I said, master's degrees for most students seems to be the biggest waste of money to, quote, fix application GPA issues. It breaks my heart seeing so much money going towards those degrees when another year of undergrad classes could have potentially done the trick. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and students undervaluing the role of, um, some community college coursework. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think that there's this, uh, false narrative that has been developed that says that I need to go to this, uh, top institution and do this really expensive, shiny master's degree. And now I'm going to get in. Yeah. Um, and it's just not always true. So, um, Yes, please, please, listeners, absolutely connect to your resources and uh, talk to some faculty, talk to some admissions offices, um, and listen to us when we say that master's isn't everything. Yeah, I, I think, and, and I'm going to be a little negative here for a second, which I, I hate being, but I, I think when you say go talk to your advisors, a lot of times it's the advisors telling them to go, mm -hmm. like, oh, you got to see an organic chemistry, you have to go do an SMP or you'll never get in. Yeah. And, yeah. and part of me wants to go, well, they're part of the academic system. And so, of course, they want to keep pushing people into the system. And, and so... How are you from a, a medical school standpoint, right? You're the ones that are actually making the decisions, not the advisors. How are you getting that word out that, that hey, advisors, this is potentially better advice that you should be telling students? Yeah, well, I think I'm, I'm, I, I guess what I was saying was totally biased by uh, the advisors I have the opportunity to collaborate with here at the University of Illinois because they are not the first to, to say, go do a master's. And so um, 
man, it really biased my perspective. I was more optimistic <laughs> that oh, you'd be surprised. We're being kind and and um, transparent on the process. Um, so I'm sorry, your question. How how are you potentially specifically and and maybe as a whole medical schools? How can you all do a better job of of reaching the advisors. I mean, obviously, there's mm. thousands of undergrad schools and and going to be even more advisors. But I, I think it's it's something that that needs to to be uh, taken care of sooner rather than later. Yeah. So we go. Um, I'm pretty transparent with applicants now. For some applicants, that master's degree can be very helpful. So I don't I don't want to say to every yep. listener like don't do it because yep. there are times where it is actually very, very helpful. Um, but I would say it's such on a, a case by case basis that we can't paint anything with just like a, a big broad brush like that. Um, so to get the word out to advisors, we do go to, um, a national, uh, meeting, uh, of pre-health advisors every other year. Um, and so we share that information with advisors directly because I think it's important for them to hear it from a medical school. Um, you know, we will do um, talks with with pre-med students to get the word out to them so that within your social networks, you know, the, the applicants can share that information. Um, I think that there's an opportunity and for us to reflect more on what else can we do to get that word to pre-health advisors. Um, many institutions will do webinars and uh, do direct mailings with pre-health advisors. And so I think this is maybe an opportunity for medical schools to take greater responsibility of this and send out more data. Yeah, more and more data. All right, let's let's yeah. circle back around to secondary essays, kind of the the heart of the topic today. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, students, especially with the number of schools that they are applying to now, up to sixteen, I think, from the AAMC is the newest data that they we'll get all 16 within a couple of days and they're like, Oh shoot. Like, uh, there are a lot of essays here. Uh, yeah. where do I start and how long do I have? And from, from your point of view, and again, you can only speak to, to Carl Illinois specifically, but from, from a secondary standpoint, is that something that you are tracking how long students are taking to fill those out? How important is it for students to send them back quickly versus, uh, spotless to a T and they're going to take a couple extra weeks to do that. What's, what's the the thought process behind all of that? Yeah. So we, um, we don't mind when we give an applicant a window of time to complete the secondary, that's up to their discretion, right? Like life happens. Sometimes you get that secondary and you're like on vacation or you're working a bunch that week. And, and so it's just impossible to, to get it done. And so we're not going to pretend to know what's happening in someone's life. Um, so we don't, uh, you know, have some back, you know, behind the curtain, um, process on the, like, you know, some secret around like, oh, well you got yours in, you know, in the, you're in the top 10% of, of complainers in the first hour or whatever. We, yep. we don't look at that. Um, what we do look at, um, is did you submit it on time or not? If you're not going to have enough time to get it done proactively reach out to those medical schools and tell them that you need more time. Um, you know, at Carl, Illinois, we will give uh, additional time if there's a, a compelling reason for why someone needs more time. Mm -hmm. um, but communicating early is key. So if someone lets me know on the front end, hey, I need more time. Can you extend my deadline for one week? For Carl, Illinois, we can do that. 
And I'm not going to say every school do that, but I would say working proactively versus reactively is, is really critical if you need additional time. Where turning the secondary in early can be helpful, um, most schools are rolling admission. And so we timestamp the application as to when it was 100% done. And so then it goes out to faculty to review based on that timestamp. So the earlier you submit your application, the earlier your application is reviewed. And then with rolling admissions, as we roll out offers, um, where you sit relative to the rest of the pool may be higher if you got it in earlier, depending on what the distribution of, of, um, of applicants look like for, for that particular time. So I would say the, the blanket advice I'd give someone is, um, you are better off to do a nice job on the secondary application and turn it in towards the end of the window of time that you have to submit it than it is to rush to get it done just to get it time stamped. Because most schools won't do very much with any updates that you send to that institution for consideration because the file's already been scored by the faculty or the administration who's scoring the application. So it is better to take your time and turn in a polished product than to slap something together. And don't be afraid to ask for extensions. Yeah, yeah. And it's it ask for extensions, you said proactively, not like, oh, my my deadline is tomorrow and I haven't gotten to it yet. I should I should ask for an extension versus right at the beginning when I know that I'm going to have some issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, yeah, I mean, I, I've had applicants reach out like three, four weeks in advance and say like, this is in the middle of a vacation. Yeah. Or someone was really honest with me and said, I have X amount of, of um, secondaries to complete. And this is really important to me. And I want to give it the time that it deserves. Can I have one extra week? And I gave it to them because I think that's being honest. And that's what we want out of physicians. Yeah. Now, a lot of schools don't give windows or deadlines to turn in secondaries. What what does your deadline look like when somebody receives a secondary? How long do they typically have? So our secondary is in two parts. So for that first part, for the competency check, they have two weeks to fill that out. Um, for the remainder of the secondary application, they have four weeks. Um, and there's a countdown clock that runs in their secondary <laughs> application so they can see how much time they have. Oh, I bet they love that. It's like... Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> countdown yeah. to D-Day. It's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for adding extra stress to the students. Oh, and never to fear because we also send you email reminders too. So, <laughs> you know, there's lots of heads up that that secondaries come in do. Yeah. Um, when a school doesn't advertise that there's an end date for your secondary, I would advise all listeners to know that most schools are going to expect to receive it in a month or so. Yeah. Yeah, so the, beyond four weeks is probably going to hurt you. The general rule of thumb that I tell students, mostly because of rolling admissions, is two weeks. Try to turn around yep. in two weeks. Yeah. Now, I on my website, I have a huge secondary essay database, and they're they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. If you get a secondary turnaround, that that competency, um, kind of that first part, if you get that turned around in a day or two, and it's super well polished, are you going? You pre-wrote this. I'm gonna I'm gonna mark you off a little bit for that. Um, no, so <laughs> not at all. Um, and for our competency piece, um, we've designed it such that there's a drop down. So if it's on your transcript, you don't have to go hunting to find what was the exact course name called. Like it's already built into the system, and just will drop down so you can select what course you had. Mm -hmm. If they're providing evidence that they developed competence in some other way, like they. Um, 
were in a research lab. And so maybe the, the applicant doesn't have statistics, uh, but they were in a research lab and they have these research outputs that show that clearly they understand basic stats and that's what they want to do to submit competency. Um, you know, sometimes you're waiting for a letter from a PI or something. So we don't want to penalize someone if, if they don't get it in right away. Alternatively, if they have evidence right there at their fingertips and they can get it done right away, the benefit to applicants for Carl, Illinois, is that that two-week window they had for their competency check now gets tacked on to their four weeks that they had for the rest of their secondary. So that'll actually bump them up to six weeks to get their secondary done. Nice. Yeah. It's like rollover minutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like exactly. it. Exactly. Oh, Heather, we've we talked a lot about the application process, the secondary process, kind of the behind the scenes application stuff. Carl, Illinois sounds like an amazing school that just does things differently. I, and I think I told Dr. Lee this when he was on the podcast a couple of years ago that like, I want to go back to med school just so I can go to Carl, Illinois. What? Oh, we love hearing that. <laughs> what? Group, there's no higher compliment. So this, yeah. that, really appreciate that. What for for the student out there who hasn't heard of Carl Illinois yet, and maybe hasn't heard how different you guys are? Can you talk a little bit about kind of the mission of the school and who you are hoping to to shape and mold as far as the future generation of physicians? Yeah, absolutely. So we are looking for the individual who has um, a passion for solving really complex problems that um, can be really innovative and has shown us where their curiosity has kind of taken them and how they've demonstrated the spirit for innovation that they possess. We really, really, really want to find physicians who want to rise to the grand challenges in healthcare. You know, we see increasing costs and increasingly uh, in this unmet need that exists in healthcare. And so for the person who's not overwhelmed by that, but excited to think, I have this idea, maybe this process that needs to change or this device that could be, um, you know, contribute to a solution in this area. We're looking for those learners who have shown us that they have this passion and want to create this kind of change to really transform healthcare. Um, and so I think that that passion is is huge. Um, if someone starts saying, okay, yeah, 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 that's great. But what does that mean for me? Like, okay, now let's talk about my application. Um, we do require a 498 MCAT and that's because, um, we are serious that we will admit someone with a 498 all the way up. Um, but we believe in that spirit of transparency. And so we're looking for that for a GPA range. We don't have any restrictions. We don't have a minimum GPA. Um, we are looking for more of the quantitative competencies than what some of the other medical schools are looking for. So we have kind of what you would see as a standard pre-med coursework track that has like your bio and chem and things like that. But we're also looking for more quantitative competence. So currently that looks like multivariable calculus, differential equations, and linear algebra. So if you don't have those specific courses, um, you can substitute if there's an overlap. So sometimes we see applicants um, share with us uh, that they've had PCHEM um, and that there's some course overlap there. So sometimes those substitutions are, are absolutely acceptable. And so um, while we are uh, an engineering-based college of medicine, and that's something we absolutely take pride in, it does not mean that we only admit engineers. Um, a, at least a quarter of our class um, comes from the basic sciences or from mathematics or computer science. 
And so um, we really are looking for those people who will be the innovators and, and the game changers, the people that um, years from now will look back and be like, medicine was different because of this person. That's who we're looking for. All right. There you have it. Again, Carl, Illinois College of Medicine, their unique secondary essay, their unique application process, their lack of interview, and so much more. Now, Heather and I have met before at that advisors conference that she was talking about. We'll meet hopefully again at the next one, which is in 2020 in New Orleans. So if you are in the area, they do have a pre-med day at that conference. So check that out. That's the NAAHP conference in New Orleans in 2020. And we continued our conversation after I stopped recording. And this, the things that she is doing and how she looks at the application process aligns pretty closely, as much as I can say 100%, pretty closely to the way that I look at the application process. She mentioned transparency several times. It's something that I talked directly to admissions committee members about when I spoke at the admissions summit in Toronto in June of 2019, just a, a month ago as I'm recording this. And so hopefully together we form this force and we go out and, and help change some perspectives and change some processes and change the transparency at some of these medical schools to make this process easier for you. All right. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to go check out secondaryapps.com. Go look at all the secondary essays for the schools that you are thinking about applying to. Go check out Carl Illinois' secondary application. See how unique it is. Go check out their website to see how amazing their curriculum is. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.